Hello everyone, we are rolling for another episode of the JJF1 podcast where Jonah and Jordan talk about all things related to F1. first time in like six weeks or even longer than that i don't remember how long it's been the two og co-hosts are back jordan i missed you buddy i missed you so much how are you doing i missed you too well it's great to be back i'm so happy i get to be back on my podcast i was out and about traveling the west coast of the united states and canada um i did some scouting in las vegas the new track i walked the main strip, which was very nice. And I was very much near my phone to be around all of the news from the summer break. And I'm excited to break it down with Jonah, give you guys my thoughts, because I listened to the previous podcast where you guys spoke about a lot of uh, the events that happened. Yeah. Uh, And for those watching on YouTube, you'll notice Jonah and I's virtual background. Mine is my favorite tweet of the summer. (laughs) <laughs> this is my alonzo deck chair that i kept from the episode that i recorded with alan so classic so yeah it's it's been a great summer but i'm back and we're ready to tackle the last 11 ish races of the <laughs> season yeah i think i think it's less than that i think we have eight left eight left that's yeah. what it is and Coming including up, yes, including have- three Including three back to back, Belgium is the beginning of a triple header. Um, we go to the Dutch Grand Prix next, and then we finish off in Monza. Yeah. Hey, listen, Monza is gonna be beautiful because the practice day of Monza is my birthday. So, it's a great day to have your birthday on. A fantastic day to have my birthday. So, anyways, we're here to talk about the Belgian Grand Prix, where Max Verstappen won from Sergio Perez in second, and Carlos Sainz in third. Um. But before we talk about the race itself and everything, we have more news to cover since the last time um, that I recorded. First off, um, Ricardo was officially announced to be kicked out of McLaren. And I put a poll up on my personal Instagram saying, did McLaren make the right decision? And there was an overwhelming yes. And one person that voted no on that poll was one Mr. Co-host, Jordan. So I'd like you to explain your decision a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, look, okay. I think I am a very big um, believer in that. And I've spoken about this on numerous occasions with you, Jonah, in our driver rankings episode, in driver swap episode. For those who've listened, I've spoken about this many, many times. And I am a big, big, big believer in the fact that When you switch teams, it takes you about a year and a little bit more than that to get accustomed to the new team. We can just see it by looking at an onboard camera. Every steering wheel for each team is different with different buttons, and each car has a different engine that works a different way, that works with the aerodynamics that works differently with that car. And so when you switch from a different engine and different car to another different engine and different car, keep in mind, it's the the first time he's in a Mercedes engine powered car, because he's been with Red Bull before that, then a Renault powered car. 
there's a big, big learning curve there. And you have to have that year, year and a half to really find your stride. And on top of that, he was dealt a bad card with the new technical regulations this year and their car not being great. So I'm a big believer in that he would perform really well in a third year with McLaren. And that for that reason, because he could get accustomed to it throughout this year, new regulations, I say that he deserves at least a chance at one more year. And if it doesn't work out then, I say he gets the boot. But I really think that he has a lot of experience to bring to a team. He's the only McLaren winner in the past 10 years. Yeah, I think, I think that, yes, he's been off the pace from Lando, but I really think that given a third year, he can prove a lot of haters wrong. And that's why I voted no on that poll. I think I... Look... Daniel Ricciardo won a race with McLaren. We're never going to be able to take that away from him. However, I think that that was just a flash in the pan because, I mean, you said, yeah, it takes a little bit of time to get used to it and the technical regulations. But look, I'm going to be honest with you. The technical regulations should have no effect on a driver's talent um, because some of the best the best drivers are the ones that are able to make the most out of the car that they're given and if there's a new technical regulation that comes in and ricardo leaves to go to another team it's not like he's going to do any better at that team and it's the regulations that are doing him in um and look just being completely destroyed by norris since he's been here with the exception of that monza win for me it's like the writing has been on the wall and I wasn't a huge fan of him going to Renault in the first place. Um, and now there are rumors that he might be going back to Alpine. Like, who even knows at this point? Um, but I think that it was time for Ricardo to um, to leave McLaren just because, especially with all the rumors of Piastri going to McLaren, that it's he might as well just leave on his own terms instead of being forced out in a way um and having to deal with that that holdout money yeah i look i'm sure that they paid him a nice chunk of money to have that contract i heard it was something like 22 million dollars which is crazy that you know that that that's the business it's the business lots of legal issues there and that's the business so they definitely paid him a big chunk of money 22 million dollars is definitely a lot with twenty two that... with twenty two million dollars, you could have almost two years of Connor McDavid. So, <laughs> yeah. and with twenty two million dollars, you can have. Uh, I mean, with the cost cap, it's different these days. But you can have a lot more wiggle room in terms of damages and. Yeah, exactly. And, but that's besides the point. I think that he deserves a third year because he has shown with his experience that he is a great driver. He's talented. He's not some rookie coming into F1 that needs to perform in any car. Um, It's not like he's Yuki Tsunoda where, you know, if you're off the pace, it's only your second year in F1. You got to either, you know, it it will go big or go home at this point because Mm -hmm. your second year, you haven't shown any experience yet. Whereas Ricardo showed a lot of experience at Red Bull. Um, You know, when he was with Max Verstappen in his early days and when he was with Vettel. So, yeah. Um it's uh it, it's very to me I I think that Ricardo's a great guy and I don't want to see his personality leave the F1 grid. And if it's I not think, a McLaren, I do 
does still deserve a seat. I think that Ricardo's personality would do so great in NASCAR. <laughs> I think that I think Ricardo loves the U.S. If he has the opportunity to stay in the U.S., he would do it. Like NASCAR and new cars, only yes, like that. He spent his entire summer break in Los Angeles, from what I've heard. Exactly. Um, so I feel like I feel like if if Ricardo stays in the U.S. for his next racing series. That would be amazing. Like I would probably, I would probably start watching IndyCar or NASCAR if Daniel Ricardo joins. And on top of that, Kimi Raikkonen is back in NASCAR now. Uh, last week he raced the Watkins Glen and spun out, but that's besides the point. He still is back racing in NASCAR, so you never know. Yeah, he's he's after saying that he's not going to race anymore and spend more time with his family. Well, look, look, look where he is. He's in NASCAR. Same thing happened with Romain Grosjean. When he retired, he's going to spend more time with his family up in Dikar. Exactly. It it happens to the best of them. Right now, Ricardo is at that phase where in every interview, he's like, it's F1 or bust. You know, he's he's going along the trajectory of him saying that, but then ultimately ending up in America with the drivers over there. Yeah. Um, Another key part of of, a key piece of news AKA the worst kept secret in Formula One. Audi is finally announced that they were entering Formula One in 2026. Um, now, Jordan, first off, how psyched are you for Audi to enter F1? And second, how do you think that they're going to enter the enter F1? Is it going to be their own team? Is it going to be buying something out? Is it going to be, I don't know, a partnership of some sort? Who knows? Yeah, I really think that Audi's going to after and first of all, Audi great brand to have in sports. We really see uh you know the German brands coming into the sport. Um you know, Mercedes has a monopoly there, so it's going to be interesting to see. What I'm really disappointed is that we have three German teams now or three German uh car manufacturers involved in the sport. I didn't see a, I don't see a German Grand Prix on this calendar and I don't think we're going to have one next year either because of the saturation there is with China potentially getting two races and, you know, Qatar coming in. So, Wait, a lot of, and, you know, American I'm, races. I'm blanking right now. Well, who's, what's the third German team? Well, there's Porsche that announced that they're going oh, to Oh, yeah, Porsche F1. buying Red Bull. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so, uh, which also is a part of the same group, the Volkswagen group. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, there's three German car manufacturers involved in the sport however there is no Hockenheim or Nürburgring two two of the most amazing tracks two most amazing grade uh a tracks on available around the world that are not on the formula one calendar yeah so that's my first remark my second remark is that i think and what i've read online is that they'll be coming in as a engine supplier they will be making engines. Maybe, just maybe, there'll be some customer teams like uh, Williams, who's looking for a new engine, or, you know, they're trying to move up the grid. McLaren also is trying to move up the grid. They could be an, also a customer team. And that way, they don't have to buy an engine from a direct competitor that's also on the grid with them. Yeah. That is Mercedes. The same rationale went through Christian Horner's head when switching from a Renault engine back in, I believe it was 2017, yeah. to a Honda in the 2018 season. He said, I don't want to buy a Renault engine. They're competing against me. 
there's something happening. I want a fresh new engine. And they brought in Honda to the sport. And that was an amazing addition for them because not only did they get a fresh engine for two teams, but it made them win the world championship. And now, and now on top of that, with Porsche buying a 50% stake in rate in Red Bull with the RBPT, you know, uh, structure that's already been put in place with that extra Porsche help, they could build an engine that's built for that Red Bull car. Absolutely. So I really, I, I personally believe it's going to be as an engine supplier. That's what I've been reading online. That's what the rumors are saying uh, amongst all the um, F1 uh, Twitter heads out there. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that it's there's a big possibility and a big market for an uh, engine that comes from an independent um, manufacturer now that there is no really independent manufacturer now that Honda's gone. Yeah, I've I've heard other well no i haven't heard any rumors of that sense but i'm trying to put two and two together here i think that audi is going to have their own team um because alfa romeo the same day that they announced that audi was going to join f1 in 2026 alfa romeo announced that they were ending its partnership with sauber at the end of 2023 so for all you know with that partnership ending for Sauber, they need to look for some sort of new title sponsor or some new money put in to save the team. And when you have basically Pizza Planet money when you're Audi and when you're the Volkswagen group, you could pull a Lawrence Stroll 2.0 and take a currently mediocre team and push them to the top um, with that extra money and not have to put in the new capital to build everything from scratch. So I think that the principle of Audi investing with Sauber, currently Alfa Romeo, seems like a more reasonable idea. Look, I, I like the idea. Also, the Lawrence Stroll component that you just mentioned is very interesting to me because I listened to the Beyond the Grid podcast that Jonah introduced me to. I listened to the Lawrence Stroll episode. It's a nice episode, episode, eh? It's a good episode. There's one with uh, Mike Crack that just came out recently that I haven't yeah. to do. I've been traveling, so haven't had the chance. But in the Lawrence Stroll episode that I think he recorded last year, at the at the end of last year, maybe, he said that when the team rebranded to Aston Martin, a bunch of top-tier brands came flocking just because they wanted to be associated with the Aston Martin name because Aston Martin Lagonda, the car manufacturer, the road car manufacturer, had such high prestige already in the market amongst luxury car um, enthusiasts. And so high class companies like Saudi Aramco and Cognizant Consulting Group flocked to Aston Martin because they want to be associated with that branding. You know, these companies have high net worth clients. Saudi Aramco is one of the most if not the most valuable company, one of the most valuable companies in the entire world. Yeah. Same thing can potentially happen with Audi and take that sponsorship money, develop their fan base, develop their headquarters because we know that the Alfa Romeo headquarters, I think was located in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, was not, you know, the most developed. Um, so they could use that, that extra money for those reasons. Personnel, it could be it could be like the Aston Martin campus that and they're currently building. It's interesting that you mentioned that. So just like to develop that idea, that's a really good idea to develop off of. 
Um, but I, I, I still am going to stick with my, my answer. I think there's still going to yeah. be an entrance. I think also with uh, Andretti's team, that's also going to potentially That's rumored to come in. How many drivers are we going to have on the grid in 2026? That's the thing. So if we have, like, we, we have 12 teams, maybe 14, if Audi comes in with a whole new other team without the Alfa Romeo uh, Sauber partnership, um, we're not 14 teams on the grid. That's a, a large grid to have. And I don't know if F1 wants to go there because they love talking about the 20 best drivers. 20 is an, you know, it's an even zeroed off number. Sounds great. The 24 best drivers, you know, it doesn't sound, it's not as marketable. Uh, we've, we, we've had some pretty big grids in the last decade though. We in the Lotus days in the, the when like classes. there was like Marussia and Manor and Virgin and uh, HRT and all those teams. There were four teams that started up in 2010, and none of them exist right now. But that's besides the point. Right, but I think so that... at one point, at one point, we had whatever it was, 14 teams. So who says that it won't be done again? You never know. Yeah, fair enough. I think that the, the, the only thing that I'll say is that it seems like with the recent moves of Formula One, uh, Stefano Domenicali really is focusing on growing the sport internationally as well as in Europe. And he's making pretty bold moves to do that. Moves that are highly marketable, moves that sound great and are very, very, very... Um, they roll off the tongue and are and are easily understandable to somebody who doesn't like F1. Yeah. 20 teams is very understandable to somebody who doesn't like F1. Having Audi enter the sport is somebody who's very understandable who doesn't follow F1. Having an individual like Mario Andretti enter the sport, it's 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 harder to grasp. It's also harder to market to an American audience. It's harder yeah. to market to people who are just getting into F1. So people, the- but people. People in um in the U.S. know of Andretti just because of their ventures in IndyCar and in NASCAR. Right. It's it's it's. It just, might do something, but it'll be for like NASCAR and IndyCar fans. My point that I'm trying to get across is that it's just going to be harder to market to people who don't follow F1 consistently, but want to try and get into it because they're fans from the Netflix show, or because they're fans because their friends like it, or have seen it on Twitter or on Instagram. Um. You know, Jensen Button's coming out with a new show on Disney Plus. I'm sure that's that's going to increase the viewership of of a Formula One too. So all yeah, new- about uh, about Braun. Exactly. Well, let's see. <laughs> Some hot topics to talk about always in Formula One. Yeah. Um. Now we're gonna go back into the into the race world a little bit. Uh. Even before the weekend started, we had. So many people take grid penalties. Um, we had Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris, Schumacher, and Bottas. Am I missing someone? I don't think so. Um, oh, and Alcon, yes. So there were six people that were starting from the back of the grid. And I think that this could like it could have basically been because they actually developed their cars over the summer break and that um they need to take engine penalties to see the true effects of their upgrades or maybe it was just like ah oh, whatever we're not going to do anything anyways this race let's see what happens yeah i think it's uh plan a that you just mentioned 
the summer break is is very good for developing your car. Um, we saw um, Aston Martin really move up the field during temporarily. the race. Temporarily, you know, showing some good signs. I think that shows some improvement. Um, you know, we saw Mercedes not have as much qualifying pace, but George Russell really performing well, another top five finish. So I, I really think that, um, you know, based on a lot of the press that happened before the Belgian Grand Prix, a lot of teams worked on their car, and I think that's what that that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think Martin Brundle said in the pre-race show that not one driver was in their original qualifying position from yesterday because of all of the shakeup. Yeah, not one. Not one. The position they, they, they finished in qualifying, not one of them started the race in that position. Yeah, well, interesting now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, crazy shakeup. Williams was in P6. Yeah, exactly. That's what I had. That's what I wanted to tackle next is Alex Albon got into Q3, qualified P9, and ended up being bumped up to P6. Lance Stroll got bumped up from P14 to P9 after being P4 and FP2. Um, Sainz started on poles. Perez started in second. Alonso was P3. Yeah, it's uh, it was pretty crazy, the, 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 the shakeup. Um, I'm starting to, with that qualifying performance from Albon, I really want to touch on this with you. Is it that Nicholas Latifi is really underperforming the car or is Albon really over, over, overachieving in that car? Nicholas Latifi is underperforming. Like, come on. It can't be, you can't have that big of a gap to your teammate, no matter how good your teammate is. Like, even... For the amount of flack that we gave Valtteri Bottas last year after being, like, wrecked by Lewis Hamilton, he was still up there and still consistently finished on the podium. It wasn't like he was finishing in P7 when Lewis was winning the race, you know? Like, Albon's getting points and Latifi's at the back of the grid and the only driver getting lapped. Like, that can't happen. Seriously. Yeah, it's it's problematic, especially for Williams, that is a team that really wants to move up the grid that yeah. finally has the money to do so. Um, they don't need a driver like Latifi anymore. And yeah, listen, I, I called it. I called it like a few episodes ago. Uh, Latifi is out and being replaced by Logan Sargent. Yeah, I, I think he's out next year. Uh, but who's replacing him? I say it's Logan Sargent. I don't know who's going to replace them. I haven't done my due diligence. Yeah. However, so I'm not going to make a premature call. But I will say that he is out next year. Williams doesn't need the money anymore. They can, Lavanza could kiss them goodbye. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. The, it's, the company that I currently work for used to sponsor, used to sponsor Williams. And then that whole, then like they wrote, they sponsored them under the Rokit Williams thing that didn't even make it to, to the actual race. Oh, and right. Then, and then the sponsorship just disappeared. Oh, why? I don't know what happened. I don't know what um, happened, but like my dad has a Rokit Williams shirt with the company that I currently work for on the branding, uh, like on the sleeve of the shirt. And it's, and like, it's just not there anymore. It never showed up. And it, it was like, it was for 2020 
and on on the car and everywhere in 2020 and didn't even show up so yeah that got probably pulled because of covid yeah probably um but yeah so let's move on to the race itself because the race itself had a very interesting start um carlos Sainz got off clean sergio perez got lost a bit of positions at the beginning yeah gained it all back because of a because of a collision with Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Thank you. You just named the three first points that I wanted to talk about in the race. Let's talk about it. Jonah, take it away. What what are your, what are your thoughts? I can't believe that Lewis Hamilton actually took blame for something that he did. Is that amazing? What happened? The second, the second that it happened. Yeah. And we saw the replay. All I was thinking in my head was last year in Monza when Max yeah. and Lewis collided, and Max's radio message was, "That's what you get when you don't leave the space." <laughs> I thought the exact no, but that that I was thought... an Alonso message. That was an Alonso message from years before. Yeah, so I, I I'm, I'm all I'm the time the Max you have Verstappen. to leave the space. <laughs> I'm 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 listening in my head the Max Verstappen message from last year. I'm like, yeah, Lewis, not leaving space, like in. England, uh, like in the UK last year, um, but and he admitted to it. So yeah, good on him for admitting to it. He had a 100% completion streak in 2022 up to this point. That is no more, and it's more. And um, you know, Alonso could have a great start. It really sucks that we didn't see more of Alonso, especially because he's an Aston Martin driver next year, and we're gonna be. Yeah. We want to see the potential that he's got. Uh, I mean, I. My thoughts on on Alonso going to Aston Martin are, are their thoughts. So, look, when I saw Lewis Hamilton fly, like literally jump up, I was like, "Oh my god, this is going to be absolutely horrible." I was watching with my dad this morning, and I let out a very audible gasp because I saw it from the from the upper camera angle, and I was like. Oh my God, he's going to fly into the barrier and this is going to be absolutely awful. Um, but another uh, thing that I want to talk about related to that is the message that Alonzo left after the collision. It was, this guy only knows how to start and finish first. <laughs> and I think that that's the biggest shot that I've ever, that I've heard recently at Lewis Hamilton um, especially since in the post-race interview, I mean, as, over the course of these se- this season in general, Lewis Hamilton has been uh, not so not so humble. He's been kind of depressed, to be honest with you. So, you know, look, he has nothing to back up his claims this season, yeah. which is kind of in- interesting. And he, he, look, when you're not performing to your your normal standard, I don't blame him for being upset. Um, you could definitely tell by his rhetoric in the media that he's upset. Yeah. Um, not only is I, I would argue that I think George Russell is consistently outperforming him too. George uh, Russell is the true shitbox whisperer. Yeah. Um, he's very much outperforming him. So, uh, DNF aside, I don't blame him for being upset. Uh, Alonzo is a savage for that comment. <laughs> Absolute savage. I hope you Future Aston Martin here. driver. Fernando Alonso, absolute savage. Yeah, honestly, I hope he brings this savagery to the wheel next next time around. I thought Seb was going to get a podium today. 
I did not think so. Well, because he looked pretty good um, for like half the race. And at one point he was in P4. I was like, oh my God. Because Seb had an amazing start. Um, and then, I mean, he still ended up finishing with some decent points. I think he was P7, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, they, Aston uh, Martin might actually finish eighth um, in front of Alpha Tauri at the end of this year. So who knows? Um, but I thought like Seb was on a major roll today and it sucks because he's an, he announced his retirement and I wish that we saw more of this Seb over the course of the last few years. Yeah, look, nobody, I haven't said my thoughts on Seb's retirement yet, but, um, yeah, look, Asimar was pretty good today. I'll, I'll give them that. Uh, they're good compared to their standards. Yeah. But, um, you know, when Alonzo was asked why he's going to Aston Martin, they're technically now in ninth. He's going down a couple grid positions from Alpine. He's like, he was asked, why are you going to Aston Martin? They're clearly worse on paper. He was like, doesn't matter if you're second or ninth, you're not number one, so I don't care. They have the highest potential to be number one. So look, mm. clearly Lawrence Stroll convinced him. Um, he, I don't, He's not the type of guy that would go to a team to, like he's the type of guy to go to because he does believe they're number one. Yeah. So or they they will be in in a couple of years. So I'm uh I'm convinced that th- there's good times are coming for Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we could also talk about is our boy Nicholas Latifi ending Valtteri Bottas's race. <laughs> we know how much I really like Valtteri Bottas. And yeah. In an Alfa Romeo, he's hasn't done too terribly so he did well in the first few races and then now it's just tapered off a little bit and i don't know if that's the car or if that's him um i'm not sure either but for alfa romeo standards he hasn't been doing terribly is what i'm saying and joe hasn't been doing badly either no so it's uh it's uh i wanted to see more from him but it was very sad to see nicholas latifi of all people you know, him continue his race, but Bottas not. Yeah. Um, it was also like a just a stupid oversteer into the gravel that he exactly he oversteered into the gravel. You can't make that kind of mistake. You're a Formula One driver, and it's been like three years already. So, like after your third year, you can't be doing that. Yeah, it's it's a little much. Um, yeah. So I would like to see more of, of Bottas, but glad those are the only two DNFs. Um, let's talk about Charles Leclerc. Yeah, I was gonna say let's talk about Ferrari to pit early, and then realize oh it's gonna be a two stop race. Degradation yeah. is high. Deg is not what we expected it to be. I am like you, yeah, I like you've been traveling the world during the biggest joke of the last few races in Ferrari history because just every single week Ferrari has just been making these kind of stupid strategy mistakes and it's unbelievable how you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing another time and expecting a different result Ferrari (laughs) seriously what is going on my Big take. I have I, I haven't been on this podcast in a while to comment on this, 
because uh, I think the last podcast I was on was maybe the Canadian Grand Prix. It was the Canadian Grand Prix. It was the Canadian Grand Prix. And Ferrari, it was that, that was the race where Carlos Sainz had in the bag, um, but they couldn't pull it off. Um, and I haven't seen any real Ferrari blunders for the first, you know, that was round seven or eight. There weren't yeah. any real blunders up until that point. My whole take on the Ferrari situation simply has to do with their communication and delegating who makes the calls. Mm-hmm. Mark Brennan said something really interesting today. They asked in the middle of the race what Charles Leclerc wants to do. They didn't exactly. Say, oh, they didn't what say, was oh, that? We're doing plan B. We're doing plan B. They asked him what he wanted to do. So my uh, whole the- theory right now is that they probably got so upset after the first time it happened. And instead of fixing what they should have done or fixing what they did to do what they should have done in terms of strategy and having it be a call from the, 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 the higher ups, I think that they got so frustrated or the drivers, specifically Leclerc got so frustrated. He's like, no, I'm going to make call the shots now. Yeah. And that suddenly cued this imbalance of who calls the shots. And is then gonna, and then Ferrari just let him do it. Yeah, and then that just causes a big, big, big problem when it comes to, you know, having to make a split second decision. They're not sure what the decision is going to be, but more than that, they're not sure who should make the decision. Yeah, and to me, knowing who can take what calls is very important in Formula One, and I noticed just based off that little that little thing that it's probably a big issue um i they think need to that, get their act together i think seriously. That they need to figure out who is the top on top of the hierarchy yeah who should be making the calls based on what data should it be data that comes within the car data outside of the car and if it's both find a way to compromise to use both sets of data to um to make a decision uh, together and not um, have to be one time Charles made a decision, the yeah. next time it's the engineers. On top of that, um, I'm going to go back to Aston Martin. Aston Martin hired, uh, sorry, they fired their head of strategy, um, I think before this race. And they brought in a new head of strategy because they realized that some of their strategy, particularly towards Vettel, was just absolutely disgusting. And Ferrari, I mean, in my opinion, Ferrari needs to do the same thing. Like, it's, if they're already 90, what, Shell is 90-something points behind Max? After, with eight races left, I mean, he's going to need to win every single race with Max finishing, like, in P4 every single race for him to be able to win the championship. Like, you can't make that kind of blunder when you have what could potentially be the fastest car on the grid. Yeah. It's very disappointing to see. Um, yeah. I ha- yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Get it together, Ferrari. Yeah. And you know, and I want to see them win. I want to see the Italian team win. I want to hear the Monegasque anthem. Charles Leclerc is a great guy. I hear he's a great, great chess player, a great piano player, loves playing pia- paddle, you know, Great dude, always good to the fans. I want to see him win. Yeah. 
I played paddle for the first time last week. It was fun. I enjoyed that. I'm I'm sure it was. It sounds like fun. <laughs> near me, actually. Oh, in that case, let's let's go. We'll do. Yeah, we'll play some. We'll play some together. We'll like Photoshop um, Lance and, and Esteban or something like that. In in yeah, it'll be funny. There we um, go. Some great social yes. media content. So now we spoke about Ferrari, but let's speak about who's ahead. Red Bull, the, the absolute, Bulls. the absolute domination of Max Verstappen today was absolutely unreal. Like this man started from 14th place. And one key thing that I wrote down was Max pits and still has 21 seconds of a gap to yeah. second place to his teammate, Sergio Perez. Like this guy, this is unreal levels of domination that I have seen over the last few races. Um, and I don't think that maybe since we've started this podcast, we've seen some super dominant races by Hamilton, but I think that Max Verstappen kind of just put his stamp on his era today because of the absolute destruction that 19 other drivers had to witness today by Max Verstappen. Yeah. I, I, I really think that um, we're seeing and I can't believe I'm saying this. I think we're seeing peak Max Verstappen. Um, For all you know, this might not even be peak. I think that this is a peak, and I think the rest is a plateau. The peak is a plateau. Mm. We're going to see a plateau. This domination, probably for the rest of the season, because um, with Ferrari not making the right calls, and the rest of the grid just being, in terms of pure pace, way behind Red Bull as a team. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very um, unrealistic that we see anybody come close to Max Verstappen from here to the end of the season. It's, it's unbelievable. And, I mean, credit to Red Bull and credit to Max for driving like an absolute maniac. But clearly... What it does it mean that Red Bull is just too good right now, or have the other teams just not developed their car as much, or just got their complete design wrong for the years that they've spent developing for this new regulation? There, there's something about Max where he is just too good because when you are 40 about 40 seconds ahead of your teammate after he started in P2 and you came from P14. There's an issue there. He is a pure beast. He is a, he's in top form right now, and we see nobody that's close to him. He is relaxed, he is composed, and he is confident. That I think that's the, exactly what it is. It's his confidence that's just brewing, and he's going to win his home Grand Prix next weekend again, and it's just crazy to see. I mean, we're we're watching some some beautiful history being made, and as much as you know, neither of us are are huge fans of you know domination and one guy continuing to win. It's fun to watch sometimes. <laughs> I I I I don't want to see. I don't know. I want to see domination. 
I don't want to see it every single time. Unfortunately, in the first half of the season, it was almost every single time. Well, I think in like the second half of the first half of the season, it was that case. Ferrari yeah. had a decent shot in the few first few races of the season, like the one in Bahrain. Um, they did not win in Saudi. Never mind. Like they they had a decent stroll of races. Haha. <laughs> um, but yeah, I this is just unreal moves by Red Bull, and Ferrari Ferrari's blunders are definitely contributing to it, but. You can't deny that Max is just on a completely other level from the 19 other drivers on the grid. Absolutely. It's 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 yeah. something to watch. I think we are watching history because yeah, I think that if this continues, I think that if this continues for years to come, you know, maybe two, two or three, Max could be the most dominant driver to ever drive in Formula One. Yeah. It could it's be possible because yes, Lewis had his seven years, but those seven years were highly contested. There were the sub Vettel years that were very contested. Yeah. His team with Nico Rosberg beat him in one and was very up, very close in the previous two. Um, Whoa, Nico Rosberg beat Lewis Hamilton. I didn't even know that. It's not like he makes it known to every single person that he's talked to since did, the day he won that championship. Did you know that it was done in the same machinery too? It was yeah, like, it, it almost reminds me of that time where Nico Rosberg beat Lewis Hamilton with equal machinery in 2016. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so it's just, uh, I think he could potentially go down as the most dominant driver in Formula yeah. One history. Oh, and on top of that, immediately after the race, Leclerc got a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane. Because, you know... <laughs> they didn't have enough bad luck. Exactly. You know the meme of the guy in, in the water polo, um, the wa- like, playing water polo and then j- dumping a bottle of water on his head? No. That, you've never seen that? Okay, it's hilarious. But anyways, people who are listening will get it. Um... It's this guy playing water polo and then trying to hydrate himself. He dumps a bottle of water, like plastic bottle of water on his head while he's in the pool playing water polo. That's like Leclerc and then the water polo being the water bottle being his five second penalty. Oh my. (laughs) Speaking of water, we're going to have a race along the water next week at Zandvoort. We're going to Zandvoort, and it's September already. Can you believe it? Yeah, I start school tomorrow. My second year of uh, of law school starts tomorrow. And um, surprisingly, for the first time in my life, I'm not going back to school. So yeah, yeah. Um, Jonah's I actually in- I graduated. So yeah. Jonah's employed and graduated. He's far gone. He's he's long gone. Yeah, Jonah's employed and graduated. It's been uh, a wild. 21 almost 22 years in of education, of education. um but yes zandvoort next week and uh jjf1 podcast tradition let's say he's making one bold prediction for next week they rarely come true we no, do them anyway we've never been wrong we've never been right not once no um i think i've been right like twice but that's about it in the yeah. two years we've been doing this I've never been I've never been right. <laughs> Let's try and be right this time. Jonah, what is your bold prediction? Valtteri Bottas is getting on the podium. 
Oh my. I said that he was going to get two podiums this season. I said not yeah. one, but two. Um, but you said that Aston Martin was going to win its race twice. So that was our bold prediction for the season. May I remind all the listeners? Um, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think mine is going to happen either. Um, I also said Lewis Hamilton is going to win the World Championship as like my serious bold prediction. Yeah, well, I said Leclerc was going to win the championship. So... And now we're saying Max is the most dominant driver in F1 history. So yeah, you know that, things things you change. Things down. change over the course of like three so, weeks. You say Bottas on the podium. Yes. I say that we're gonna have Ricardo's salty redemption to McLaren, and he will wind up P3. Hot takes here at the JJF1 podcast. Yes. Um, well, let's see what happens in actually seven days' time because we recorded on race day. Um, yes. So, Our raw reaction. Yeah. Jordan, I am so happy to have you back on the podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed your summer break. So I did. Uh, let's get locked and loaded for the rest of the season for the eight races that are left. And if you want to join us on that journey, feel free to like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram with the JJF1 podcast. And we will see you for the next episode. See ya.